God. Uh, some will do it willingly, and that's by a choice, as you would do today in the age of grace. And some will do it unwillingly. It will happen when uh, that time of adoration comes. Even the enemies are going to be forced to bow before him. Amen? Amen. I want to get into a message tonight um, that I'm going to go ahead and say is, is front-loaded. Those of you who are readers, if you... Um, uh, if you, you like to read books, you read some books that are front-loaded. Uh, I, I personally do not like a front-loaded book because when you front-load front a book, then you spend the rest of the book going, man, I've, I know all this. You, you did it in the first five chapters. Why am I going to read the rest of them? So that's the warning tonight. Don't do that because I'm front-loaded a bunch of information that is going to tie into the final point this evening. So really and truly, the bulk based upon the title of tonight's message, which is the rarity and great worth of standing for truth. That's what the title of the sermon is this evening. And, uh, but everything that's front-loaded will build to where we need to get to in the final point tonight. And uh, we just want to be able to, uh, I, I just want to be able to kind of warn you this evening as you may sit here and go, where on earth are we going, and what in the world does this have to do with that title, okay? You'll just bear with me here this evening, if you will. And so we're going to be in First Peter chapter 2. This is the area of where we're going to be focusing this evening. We are going to bounce around. There's going to be a load of reading tonight. I've done all the work for you. It's on the screen this evening, and uh, so that way you're not uh, turning and, well, I guess nowadays... Uh, poking and flipping and scrolling to get to the, the right verses, amen? And uh, it would be interesting to see if we had sword drills for those with paper Bibles and then maybe with phones or iPads, see who would win on the sword drills. So First Peter chapter 2, we're going to read verses 1 through 9, quite of a lot of reading in the front end. But the Bible says, Wherefore, laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisies and envies and all evil speakings, as newborn babes desiring the sincere milk of the word, that ye may grow thereby, if so be, ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious, to whom cometh as unto a living stone, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God, and precious. Ye also, as lively stones, are built up, up a spiritual house and holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Wherefore also it is contained in the Scripture, Behold, I lay a Zion, a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. Unto you, therefore, which believe, he is precious. But unto them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner, and the stone of stumbling, a rock of offense. Even to them which stumble at the word, being disobedient, whereunto also they were appointed. But you are a chosen generation a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Father, I ask you to bless tonight's sermon, the message this evening, touch and tender our hearts and draw us ever so closer to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. There, there is so much contained in these nine verses that we just read. There's, there's so much, and we won't be able to cover uh, all nine verses, obviously, in, in one sermon, one single sermon tonight. 
But the contrast that we find within the passage is between Israel and the church. And this is, the, this is vitally important because if you have one step off or one step wrong, we know just by basic geometry, if, 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 if I'm here and say, and Sue is right here, and, and I'm one degree off the mark of this line, and we start taking, it doesn't matter how big the steps are, how small they are, how fast they are, we are going to be growing away from one another. Do you understand? And, and by, by the time you know, as we get down to the mark over here and across the entire room, we're going to be way, way, way off the mark. So we have to be vitally careful, very careful tonight when we look at, uh, at these verses and we begin to address what is of the church and what is pertaining to Israel. That's where the contrast is found. In verse 6 that we read, it says, Wherefore also it is contained in the Scripture, Behold, I lay at Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. Okay? We look at that. That is a reference to Isaiah chapter 28 and in verse 16. Isaiah chapter 28 and in verse 16. Whereas the Bible says, Therefore thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I lay in Zion for a foundation a stone, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. He that believeth shall not make haste. So we're going all the way back to the Old Testament. When you read the book of Isaiah, it consists of 66 chapters. It reads identical to the full completed Bible. The first uh, 39 chapters of, of Isaiah reads identically to the Old Testament. You say, well, it is the Old Testament, but it reads thematically Old Testament-wise. You're looking at a Messiah to come to rule and reign on earth, sit upon the throne of David, uh, set up the kingdom, the millennium, etc., etc. By the time you get into the latter 27 chapters, just like you have or 27 chapters, you have 27 books in the New Testament, 39 in the Old Testament, equal to 66. When you get into that in the book of Isaiah, now you're beginning to see a suffering Savior. You're beginning to see what, what Savior came to live and reign, uh, not in the throne of David, but to pay the price on the cross. So 1 Peter chapter 2 and, uh, and verse 6 is relating to Isaiah 28. Verse 7 is going to relate to Psalm 118 verse 22 saying, The stone which the builders refused has become the head of the cornerstone. Now that's a reference again. They're referencing Israel. They refused, okay? They're referencing Israel. They knew the Messiah is coming. We'll get into that here in just a second. I'm trying to get ahead of myself. And then in verse 8 of the very same chapter, it's a reference again to Isaiah chapter 8 and verse 14. It says, and he shall be for a sanctuary, but for a stone of stumbling, for a rock, um, and for a rock of offense to both the house of Israel for a gin and for a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. So the statements that Peter is recording as inspired by the Holy Spirit of God are heart-pounding to say the least. And they could be very confusing to some people if you don't rightly divide the word of truth. The fact that verse 8 ends with, whereunto also they, are, they were appointed unto, for me, since chills up my spine. Okay, it's not only heartbreaking, but it's a warning to all who would refuse to take heed to the Word of God. When they know to do right, and, and when they, they've been taught all their lives, and they still chose to not, to not do so. Beloved, Israel was taught of the coming Messiah. They were taught, uh, uh, they were taught of, uh, uh, that he would come, that he would set up the kingdom, uh, that he would live forever. Uh, but they also were taught that he would suffer and he would die. They were taught about the days of his life. They, they were taught about where he would come from. Israel was taught all of these different things, okay? I mean, just like we know today, Sunday school information that we would teach young children, the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ, and the being born of a virgin, born in Bethlehem, all of these things were prophesied, and all of them, every single one of them, okay, 
Israel was taught in full. As a matter of fact, do you know what the most read chapter in the synagogue was, the synagogues were? Isaiah 53. Jesus Christ read Isaiah 53, which speaks of the suffering Savior. He read that, and he said, this day, Scripture hath been fulfilled in thine ears. So I'm saying all that to say this tonight, that we need to understand, they were well aware of the coming Savior. They were taught about him all the days of their life, and yet they willingly forgot him. They turned their backs on the Scripture, they worshiped other gods, and they became just like the people in whose land they dwelt. So my question to us tonight, still front-loading, <laughs> my question to us tonight, are we so different? Are we so different? Peter is referencing the failures of Israel while it's exhorting the church of who and what they are. What did we read in verse 9? What did he say about them? What did he make it very clear of who they were? He said they are a chosen generation. He's not, who's he? He's not speaking to Israel now. He's speaking to us. But thou, but ye, okay, that word ye means y'all, okay? So those of us from the South in America, we say y'all. Actually, that's an old Irish term because most of, most of the South was populated by the Welsh and Irish. It really came from that. But y'all, mean it's plural. It means all y'all, okay? Everyone, ye. He's speaking to the church, saved individuals. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people, that you should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. We could park there, especially about that darkness being chosen uh, into his marvelous light. As the Apostle Paul said that he was called uh, to lead the Gentiles out of darkness. Now, before we get into these four points, I think it's four. Before we get into these points tonight, I want to make sure something very clear. The church has not replaced Israel. The covenant that, the Lord, that God had with Israel, the Abrionic covenant, that covenant is still intact and will be fulfilled one day in the millennial kingdom, okay? We are an interlude. We are a period of time of which the Old Testament prophets did not see. It is known as the Valley of Prophecy. So as the prophets looked out, they saw all the peaks. They saw the suffering Savior, the death on the cross, but they saw the second coming of Jesus Christ when he comes to set up his kingdom. What they did not see, what they did not see was this age of grace, this church age, and we'll see that here Tonight, understand that. The church has never replaced Israel. Anyone who teaches that, that is a doctrine of the devil. Peter says that in, in a, uh, 2 Peter chapter 2, that they are heresies and teaching doctrines of devil. Replacement theology is a heretic religion, a heretic toss, uh, teaching. So the first thing I want us to look at is I want to look at uh, the church that is chosen. He says that you're a chosen generation, all right? Now, before you think we're part of the chosen frozen, all right, which, you know, I don't know if y'all know what the chosen frozen would be, but that you had no choice to accept Christ as your Savior. That ain't true. That ain't true whatsoever, okay? What happens in salvation is the Holy Spirit of God impresses upon your heart that you need to be saved, your conviction of your sins and your inability to pay for those sins unless you want to suffer the penalty of those sins, and then all of a sudden you know there's a Savior over here. And that Holy Spirit bears witness of that that you may receive the free gift of eternal salvation, and then you are saved. You say, well, but Jesus Christ, God, is, uh, he's omniscient. He knows who's going to be saved. Yeah, he knows who's going to be saved. But, it's not, but he also is not willing those to be saved and those not to be saved. To have someone that is the chosen elect, and we know that the Bible says that those who believe not are going to perish in hell, that means you've got to have a chosen unelect, you understand. That doesn't exist. But we are a chosen generation, mind. Israel was a chosen generation as well. Remember, there's a contrast in Second Peter or 1 Peter 2. 
Deuteronomy chapter 10, read this with me from the screen. Deuteronomy chapter 10, verses 12 and 15 says, And now, Israel, what doth the Lord thy God require of thee? But to fear the Lord thy God, to walk in, his, in all his ways, to love uh, him, to serve the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, to keep the commandments of the Lord and his statutes, which I command thee this day for thy good. Behold the heaven and the earth, and the heavens is the Lord thy God, the earth also, with all that is therein. Only the Lord hath delighted thy fathers to love them, and he chose their seed after them. Okay? Even you above all people as it is this day. So there was a chosen nation. That was Israel in the Old Testament, okay? There's a chosen element, not individuals, but a chosen element with the church. This is what the Lord says in John chapter 15. John chapter 15. See all this work I did for you guys will be poking and, and, and looking. Anyway, John chapter 15, verses 16, and we'll skip down to 19. Jesus says, Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you, and ordained you, that ye should go and bring forth fruit, and that your fruit should remain, that whatsoever ye shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it to you. Verse 19 says, If ye were of the world, the world would love his own. But because ye are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. So think about it like this. You and I, you and I could have been, cho- we could have been born, okay, in any given time in the last thousands of years of history. We could have been born in the Roman Empire, Okay. Rome came here in 29 A.D. They started building roads. I think we're still driving on some of them. But they started building roads throughout uh, the, the United Kingdom, throughout Great Britain. They ran the Celts all the way to the, the valleys of Wales and to the Scottish Highlands. And, and then we find, you know, hundreds of years later, the Anglo-Saxons invasion. We could have been born during that, right? Now, I, I hear a lot of these guys say, well, I'm living in a day and age that, you know, I like the old ways. You know, I like the old days. And I get that. I understand the old days. And, you know, there, there's something about the old days and old ways. I mean, there's something about outdoor, you know, toilets. Those are really great, aren't they, in the wintertime? There's something about, you know, the lack of running water in your house or no refrigerator. Yeah, those are wonderful days, man, I tell you. Let's just run back to the old days and the old ways. Uh, half of the people that are saying that, guys, uh, they probably wouldn't last 24 hours in the old days uh, in the old ways. But, guys, we could have been born in the Grecian Empire during the Medes and Persians, the Babylonian Empire. We could have been born during the Egyptian rule of this earth. But God didn't see that to happen. You and I could have been born through any period of time prior to the law or maybe during the life of Christ, yet we were not. We were born during the age of grace. My soul, man, I don't know about you. That's the church age, a mystery hidden from the Old Testament prophets. Whereas it was given to Paul, and we are given the opportunity to accept a free gift of salvation. Mind you guys, we were, we were not even a people. Do you, everybody in here is, is a Gentile uh, descent, hands down, all right? Nobody's here of a Jewish descent, at least not fully, okay? You're not the lost tribe of Israel. Don't give me that Armstrong-ism garbage. Anyway, all right, so I can rule out some of those things a lot of times. Anyway, I'm saying this to say, I'm trying to make this point. Do you know what we'd have been doing if we were born under the law? We'd have been bowing down to the birds, bees, and sycamore trees. Anything that moved, grunt, did whatever, we'd be worshiping them. That's what our ancestors did. Our ancestors didn't worship God Almighty, but God in his infinite wisdom chose each and every one of us to be born during an age of grace, man, where salvation is free to receive to anyone and everyone that he died once and he died for all. It's a chosen generation, my soul. What a blessing that is. Chosen generation it is. Not only that, guys, and again, timing is everything. Don't we agree? 
Timing is everything. Think about it. Now, I, believe, I, I don't believe in coincidences. i got to be honest about that. But I tell you, timing is everything. Just go back in your life and look at some of the things that happened in your days that enabled you to be right where you are right now, good and bad. You know, the, the bad things a lot of times shape the good things that come on the other side of the, on the, other side of the street, right? You know, you can't have mountaintop experiences. You know, nothing grows on top of a mountain. There's a certain uh, elevation that everything stops growing, okay? So, you know, it's great on the mountaintop. You're shouting it out. You're screaming. You're, you're hollering. You're singing. Woo-hoo, everything's great. But if you want another mountaintop in your life, guess what you're going to have to do? You're going to have to go through that valley. But, boy, when you come through that valley, you come out of that darkness, and you get back on that mountaintop again, and you see that daybreak, my goodness, man, what a blessing. That's what life is. Timing is everything. Chosen generation. Number two, we find that we're connected. This is beautiful right here. This is absolutely beautiful. So he says there in 2 Peter, tells us that we are a royal Whoa, I got ahead of myself, did I not? So we are a royal priesthood. So I don't know where the other one is, so just take my word for it. So we're a royal priesthood, all right? And uh, so what we see being a royal priesthood, all right, boom, catch up. And we're just going to hold it right here in just a moment. So the Bible tells us about being a royal priesthood. That's point number three, so you just got to hang on. Trust me. A royal, what does that mean about being a royal priesthood? So uh, the Lord makes this promise to Israel. He tells them in Exodus 19, verse 6, he says, And ye, that's that y'all word again, speaking to one nation now, and ye shall be unto me a kingdom of priests. A kingdom of priests. Now the priest was the one who went before the Lord on behalf of all the people. Souls in the Old Testament could not just come to God before the Lord at any time they chose. They needed a mediator. They needed someone to go between. And guys, here's what we find. You had a high priest in Israel, and here's how they did. So you would go, you say, well, I've sinned against my neighbor. Okay, you bring a couple of doves, and you say, here, priest. And he would take those doves, and he would do bad things to them, and he'd take the blood, and he would pour them up, and he'd put them on the, on the brazen altar, and he would burn them. He'd take the ashes. He'd t- put new britches on. He'd get rid of it. He goes through this whole thing just because you offended your neighbor, all right? Just because you parked in their parking place, amen. You know, just because you have in your name. And then once a year, okay, that high priest would put on his little pomegranates and his bells on his bridges, and, and he'd put his holy garments on. He'd get all his stuff. He had an ephod on. I mean, he just was decked out. He was a beautiful-looking thing. But he would step into what is called the Holy of Holies. So you had the tabernacle, the outer court, the inner court, but inside the the Holy of Holies was the mercy seat and the Ark of the Covenant, which contained the, the book of the law, had the tablets of the law and the, uh, the staff of Aaron's, which budded. And he would walk in there, and he would go before the Lord. He would go before the altar. He would pray on behalf for Israel. So for your prayers to be answered, you had to go to that high priest in the Old Testament. And then he had to go to God on your behalf. But you had to perform all the, he had to do all these other things before he could go on your behalf. But God says that we're royal priesthood now. We are. So the Bible tells us, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5, I apologize, it's not up there. He says, for there is one God, there is one mediator between God and men, mankind, the man, Christ Jesus. We, today, you don't have to go and talk to me in order to uh, have your prayers answered. 
My soul, man, you don't even have to bow your head or be on. You can drive down the road today and you can pray to God Almighty. He'll hear your prayers. You don't have to get in a box of some guy with a dog collar on and tell him your, your secrets. Amen. That, 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 that doesn't exist today. You, if you're saved and born again, blood bought by the Lord Jesus Christ, or a royal your chosen generation in a particular time, time is everything, but you're a royal priesthood. That means you can go on behalf of yourself at any given time. That's what God did for us. That's what he did when he says, you know what? I'm going to make you a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. I can go and pray for my, it doesn't mean we shouldn't pray for one another. It shouldn't mean, doesn't mean that if you want to bear your, uh, we should bear one another's burdens. Oh, absolutely. We should pray one for another. There's, there's power in prayer. But not only is the church, the bride of Christ, a chosen generation, we're a royal priesthood. You know what that turns, that, that makes us, you've already seen it, consecrated. He says a holy nation. Now, that nation is not Wales, it's not England, it's not America, it's not, you know, I said this this morning. There is no such thing as a Christian nation in our world. All right? Now, that's going to upset the apple cart of a lot of people that's going to hear this thing online. Because they're going to stomp their foot and say, well, I was born a Christian nation. No, you wasn't. And I can go through the litany of things that every one of these nations do that make them no more Christian than my poor dog. Okay? But yet the Bible says that we're a holy nation. Well, so is Israel. Exodus chapter 19 tells us this. It is up there. Verse 3, it says, And Moses went up unto God, and the Lord called unto him out of the mountain, saying, Thus shalt thou say to the house of Jacob, and tell the children of Israel, Ye have seen what I did unto the Egyptians, and how I bear you on eagles' wings, and brought you unto myself. Now therefore, if you will obey my voice indeed, and keep my covenant, then ye shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people. For all the earth is mine, and ye shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and an holy nation. These are the words which thou shalt speak unto the children of Wales. No, of Israel. Old Testament, Exodus. It means they're at Exodus, Egypt. God gave the law, and in a couple chapters after this, Moses is up on the mountain. He comes down and wrecks them and goes back up. He had to make new ones, and all of that happened. So here again, we are seeing overshadowing terms that God is using. So what does it mean to be a, a holy nation? Deuteronomy chapter 7 tells us this, and in verse uh, 6, it says, For thou art a holy people unto the Lord uh, thy God. The Lord thy God hath chosen thee to be a special people unto himself above all people that are upon the face of the earth. So now what we see that something that is holy is something that is special. It is something that is sanctified. I use the word consecrated. That means this. It doesn't mean that it's cleansed. It means it's set apart. It's set apart. So we have, this is going to be the worst illustration on the planet, but I'm going to use it anyway. So we know what a Texas bar is, don't we? We have a Texas bar in the gym on the wall. You're going to clean with that thing and throw it on the floor? <laughs> None of us are. We value our life, I can guarantee you. That's a deadlifting bar. That's all it's for. The Texas bar is a deadlifting bar. It ain't for cleaning. It ain't for benching. It ain't for squatting. It's for none of those things. And if anybody tries it, one person tried it, and it didn't, go, it didn't go down well years ago when we first got it. It's set apart for one particular use. That's what it's for. That's what it means to be consecrated. I told you it was a terrible illustration, 
But it is what it is. That's the key, beloved. Just as Israel in the Old Testament was a nation set apart from all the other nations, they were chosen, they were royal, they were holy, the bride of Christ today, which is made up of Jew and Gentile, saved and born again. There's only three people on the face of the planet, three types of people. The Jew, the Gentile, and the church of God. That's the Bible. Well, who's the church of God? Save Jew, save Gentile. That's simple. It's not white, black, yellow. It's not red. It's not this dialect, that nation. That, that ain't got anything to do with anything, okay? Save Jew, save, or save Gentile makes up the church of God. If you're lost and you're a Jew, you're a Jew. If you're lost and you're a Gentile, you're a Gentile. That's the only three people on the planet today. You understand? The key, my friend, is that just as the bride of Christ was purchased with the blood of Christ, with the perfect God, the Lord Jesus Christ, we today now are set apart. So you may be asking yourselves, what in the world? Does this have to do with the rarity and great worth of standing for truth? I want you to look at Deuteronomy 7 again in, in verse 7, what we just read, and I want you to listen to this. The Lord, now those all caps Lord right there uh, is, is the, the, the name of the Lord, Jehovah. It means self-existing eternal one. The Lord did not set his love upon you nor chose you because ye were more in number than any people, for ye were the fewest of all people. See, beloved, Israel was not chosen by God because of their might or their strength or their talent or their numbers or their population. As a matter of fact, they were chosen by God for the very opposite. The Bible, uh, the Bible is very clear of what it has done. I mean, of what he has done and how he has given us, uh, guys, and what he has done for us. The Lord did not set his love upon you nor choose you because you were more in number than any people, for you were the fewest of all people. Why? Why in the world, why would God do that? Why would he choose a people that were fewer in number, that were weaker? I mean, you would think that God Almighty, who can choose anyone that he wants to, he would want to get the most talented, the best, the beautiful. He would want to get all of them together so they could glorify them. Isn't that what we do so often many times in our modern world? We, big these, we build these big, huge buildings. We have this elaborate uh, setup. We, have, well, we got folding chairs here tonight, don't we? Amen. We got chairs that we've taken out. My goodness, Sue had her husband bring down some chairs when we couldn't get into the cover. I mean, you know, but there's other people, they seek millions. Millions in the aesthetics because they believe that's glorifying God. And God's never done that. God's never done that. God chose a nation in the Old Testament because they were few, they were weak, they wasn't populated. It's so the, it's so the power of God Almighty could be seen and known in the world by them and through them. I mean, have you ever wondered tonight? Again, we go back to that title and we're working to a close. Everything's front-loaded. Everything that we've said now comes together. The great worth of standing. Have you ever wondered what it takes to stand? Some days are harder than others, aren't they? Lisa and I got into my car this morning, and when we got in the car, it was, and she laughed. She goes, man, we make some weird sounds. I'm getting this car. I don't want to say, yeah, I need something I can get up in rather than get down in. So. But in the physical round, it's called orthostasis which is the act of standing. There are nearly 700 named skeletal muscles in, in the body, only 200 of those most people have ever heard of. In conjunction with the nervous system, guys, there are over 150 mu muscles which work simultaneously, continually, while we stand. They are working, over 150 of them are working with me just standing here, not even moving. 
And it may sound crazy, guys, but, but there's usually always a spiritual application to what we see in the physical. The majority of, of um, oh, got ahead of myself there. The majority of those muscles are working to allow us to stand upright. We never even notice them. Matter of fact, the largest group of muscles is in our back, not the largest muscle. The largest muscles are glutes, but with a single muscle, but the largest group of muscles in our back. Many of those muscles are working, and we don't even notice it. We, we don't even, we, we, they're involuntary muscles. They're working, they're doing something, and we don't know. Do you know when we do notice it? When they stop working. And guys, our life is the same. The same is true when it means standing for truth. Standing for God, even when most of those around you are not or will not. Most people will never notice what is at work to enable them to stand upon truth until we stop doing so. I call it having a backbone. Having a backbone to stand upright in the world we live in. It's a rare jewel and a world of coal. And most will conform and blend in. And have been called common. Common. You see, we don't want to be called common because what we find here is that Lord, the Lord uses Peter to say that you're not only going to be a chosen generation, you're not only going to be a holy nation, uh, you know, you're not even going to be a royal priesthood, but he says you're going to be a peculiar people. Now, before you run a rabbit hole of what peculiar means, because we use that in a different manner today. Common is an antonym. It's the opposite of peculiar. Great worth is found within the rarity of a subject. The more common something is, the less value it becomes. It's the law of supply and demand. Throughout the history of mankind, God's people has never been a majority. If you look at Noah and his family, eight people. He preached for 120 years, and eight, including one was himself, were saved. Abraham was called out of his home, his land, his family, just few in number. Isaac, the same with his father. Jacob had 12 children. One was sold into slavery at 17. They were simple shepherds and simple tribesmen. By the time Moses led, uh, led Israel out of Egypt, according to Clark, it's estimated that a total population of, of, uh, in the book of Exodus was 3,263,000 people. The entire adult population from 20-year-olds and upward, with the exception of Joshua and Caleb, were forbidden to enter the land of Canaan, and they died in the wilderness. And Clark's figure says that that's 1,078,000 Israelites, 600,000 men, 400,000 women, 45,000 Levites, 33,000 Levite women, plus adults among the mixed multitude, died during the wilderness wandering around in those 40 years or the 38 left over. In the days of Jesus Christ... During his three-and-a-half-year ministry, he would be in the midst of a throngs of people. I mean, multitudes upon multitudes upon multitudes of people. And yet we read in verses like Matthew chapter 4, verse 24, that says, And his fame went throughout all Syria, and they brought unto him all sick people that were taken with divers diseases and torments, and those which were possessed with devils, and those which were a lunatic, and those that had the palsy, and he healed them. Multitudes of people. Matthew chapter 9 is another good example. It says in 9, uh, 31, tells us, But they, when they were departed, spread abroad his fame in all that country. 
Mark chapter 1, great tw verse 28. And immediately his fame spread abroad throughout all the region round about Galilee. The Bible even says in Matthew chapter 4, in verse 25, it says, and, and there followed him great multitudes of people from Galilee and from Decapolis and from Jerusalem, from Judea, and from beyond Jordan. However, like we saw this last week in the example, in John chapter 6, after some hard preaching, thousands upon thousands had followed him. I used this, I preached on it this morning. In John chapter 6, the Bible tells us that many of his disciples walked no longer with him. They said, that's a hard saying. Who can hear it? And he was left with his 12. And he said, will you depart also? They said, where can we go? As a matter of fact, by the time we get to the arrest of Jesus Christ, and he was in the hall of judgment, being bludgeoned, being beaten, mocked out, and scorned, who was with him? John the Beloved. Peter was out warming himself by the fire. He denied Christ three times, left and wept bitterly. And the only one left was the Apostle John. Beloved, true biblical Christianity has never been in the majority. The reality is, it is the power and might of the Holy Spirit which believers find their strength. It's not in our numbers. It's not in ourselves. And, and guys, when we begin to see that we are a holy nation, that we are someone that is set apart, that we are someone who can be a peculiar, a rare jewel in the world today, and we see the great worth of being different, this is where having a backbone comes in. Someone who will stand strong upon the right thing. Godly living in the midst of a world bent on living for self, satisfaction, sin, and yes, seduction. Is it easy? No, it's not easy. But most things worth doing aren't easy. What will it take for us as believers to stand up and live right in this world? You know, it's, an e it's, it's easy to go the way of the majority. Anyone can do that. I mean, I remember uh, when we first started coming out of lockdown and, and uh, you know, they still had the, the, the paints on the, on the road about which way to walk. And, and, man, if you got on the wrong side, man, you, you know, you thought you committed a crime. You know, people giving you the dirty look and all this and, and trying to figure out what you But I remember it's hard. You're like, man, I'm swimming upstream. Oh, well, let me get over there where everybody's going, oh, now this is easy. What's it going to take for us to stand up? It is difficult to stand up to do the right thing in today's world. It, it can be even more difficult to stand up uh, for, for God and society when, uh, when we live in a world today that tries to deny his very existence and, or a world who has created an alter ego of who and what they think God is. That's called idolatry. It may be difficult, but my friend, it's not impossible. It's not impossible. Respect is never given to those who conform to the world, not even by those who conform to it. Barner Research Group says a person's response to the, the meaning and personal value of Jesus Christ's life, death, and resurrection is usually determined before a person reaches 18. In fact, the majority of, uh, of uh, who make lasting determination about their personal significance of Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, they do so by the age of 12. Barna also showed data that indicated in most cases people's spiritual belief are irrevocably formed when they are preteens. Upon comparing data from a national survey of 13-year-olds with an identical survey among adults, Barna found that their belief profile related to dozens of central spiritual principles that were ide identified within that young group as opposed to the older group. What does that mean? What it means, guys, is when you set yourself apart, 
as a peculiar people, as a holy nation, as honoring yourself as a royal priesthood, being chosen of God. Others take note. It doesn't mean you're haughty. It doesn't mean you're arrogant. It doesn't mean you're an elitist. It simply means that you, you have a backbone to stand up for truth. And standing up for that truth, guys, makes you a rarity in this world today. That you don't do the things that everyone else does. That you don't go to the places that everyone else You just stand up. You don't have to browbeat them. You don't have to do none of the. You just don't do it. I'm going to live for Christ. You hold to the truth no matter who around you or no matter how dark the environment may be. No matter how vile of choices that others have made. The rarity and great worth of a backbone in a world today will make all the difference in the lives of your family and the lives and the others in the world to come. Paul said this, Philippians 2, that I'm done. He said, do all things without murmuring and disputing, that you may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding forth the world, the word of light, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. All things without murmuring and disputing. That's difficult. I'll be the first one to tell you. It's difficult. Being blameless and harmless. You know, when we talk about being having that great worth, we think about what Jesus said. Jesus, Jesus said for us to be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. What does that mean? If you notice what a serpent is, a serpent is a predator. A prey reacts. We had horses, and sometimes the horses would kick you, and I'm going to go ahead and tell you, it never feels good. It never gets better. It never gets easier. It hurts all the time, you know, and it's dangerous. I had one kick me off one time. That was horrible. Um, but a horse doesn't say, you know what, here comes Sue. I don't like what she's wearing today. I'm just going to kick daylights out of her. That's not what a horse does. A horse is a prey animal. They kick, and then they think what they did. No, I just kicked something, you know. They're prey. Predators aren't like that. When the Lord tells us to be wise as a serpent, he means that we are to plot and plan our day. We are to prepare our life with a strategy. That's what a predator does. But in the same way we're plotting and planning the day that we live in and how we're going to live and what we're going to do, we are to be harmless as doves. A dove is a wonderful animal. It's a beautiful animal. The Lord uses it as a picture of the Holy Spirit of God. And so in our life today, if we're going to be a, a, a rare jewel, if you will, if we're going to live up to that standing and having a backbone for the truth, it's going to take us to stand. And when you stand, you'll get noticed. When you stand, you'll get made fun of. When you stand, you may not get invited to the, to the cliques and the parties, and that's okay because you're a chosen nation. You're a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation, chosen generation, royal priesthood. You are a peculiar people of great worth. You say, what is my worth? Your life was worth the blood of the creator of all things. He loved you that much to die for you. That's the great worth that you have. Will you bow your heads tonight? Father in heaven, thank you so much for the night. Thank you for all that you've given us and everything that you've done. And I pray in our closing hymn this evening that you would 
Bless this time together. Help us think on the words. Help us think on the words of this message this evening. And Lord, I just pray that it will make a difference in our life, that we will go forth and make a difference in the lives of others. We do love you and thank you and lift up the name of our risen Savior this evening. In Jesus Christ's name we ask. Amen. Well, I surely hope and pray that the teaching and preaching of the Word of God was a blessing to your heart tonight. Uh, we're going to back up on this song there. I kept them in order that they were sent, so my apologies. Sorry.